Jesus, you are the reason that we can have life. You are a living hope. You are alive. We worship you this morning. Without you, we would be nothing. We would be lost and aimless. But Lord, you give our lives meaning and purpose. And Lord, you are that hope, that happy certainty that someday we will receive what you have promised us, eternal life with you. Lord, we look forward to that day and we rejoice that day, day is coming and that your word is true and what you say will happen. And we look forward to that. We look forward to the time when we'll be in eternity worshiping you, throwing our crowns at your feet. What a beautiful Savior. I'm yours forever. You are Jesus Christ, our living hope. Lord, take our sacrifice of praise this morning. May it be a fragrant offering to you. For it's in your name, the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If I sing but don't have love, I waste my breath with every song I bring. An empty voice, a hollow noise. If I speak with a silver tongue, convince a crowd but don't have love, I leave a bitter taste with every word I say. So let my life be the proof, the proof of your love. Let my love look like you and what you made. I'm so glad you're here today. We are in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching these words. It's the longest recorded sermon that we have in the New Testament. But he's sharing hope with the discouraged and the abused and the burden. And he's trying to share that life. <laughs> Life under the good king is radically different. Jesus changed all of the price tags when he began with the Beatitudes. He said, blessed or happy are those who are poor, who, who realize their dependence upon God. Blessed are those who mourn, who mourn for their sin, and, and repent often, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek or humble, for they will inherit the kingdom. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are those... Blessed are those 
Blessed are those, oh, come on. Oh, who, uh, give it to me, somebody. Blessed are those who have pure hearts. <laughs> I knew it would come. All right. For they will see God, and blessed are those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. And blessed are those who suffer for doing right. Oh, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jesus started it off that way. And as Jesus continued, people started scratching their heads. This is so different. Then Jesus redefines six basic kingdom truths. And we've been focused on these the last few weeks, but today we're going to focus on the sixth. And Jesus taught almost exactly the same way all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. He would say something like, you understand the law, or you have been taught this way, but actually there is a more robust understanding of these principles when you live underneath my reign in my rule. Jesus is basically saying that life under the king's rule looks and feels differently than you have been living. Last week, Jesus told his followers that they must speak the truth instead of false, and act graciously instead of vengefully. As you started to flesh out what Jesus was saying, it changed the way you spoke this week. We began to trust God a little bit more and recognize that it's not up to me for revenge. Our good, good God knows how to bring about care and safety. But nobody, nobody could prepare them for Jesus' next paragraph. What we are going to study today is absolutely shocking. It was shocking back then, and it is going to be shocking today. So before we do that, let's pray. Father, we open up your word asking you to teach us. We are so grateful for the Holy Spirit that lives in each believer. We pray, dear Father, that as your word is taught, that the Spirit would take that and use it to encourage us and to convict us and to strengthen us. I pray, dear Lord, that you would be glorified today. We pray, Father, that your word would be used in a way, God, that will change our way of thinking. That's what often happens when we open up the book. So we are so grateful for that, God. We pray for all those churches that are preaching your word today. We think especially of Casa de Rocion, and Emmanuel, and Lifespring. We ask, Father, that you would give the folks in those congregations uh, encouragement to be salt and light, that they would apply God's word to their hearts, and that we, as a group of believers, would be an army 
sent out wherever we go to represent you well. I pray, Father, for all those who are downstairs, all those who are teaching, for our children as they're learning and understanding who you are. Would you use your word downstairs to change lives? I just want to thank you for the Awana Award presentation this last week. There are so many kids that were honored for learning your word. And we pray, Father, that that would continue to do work in each one of their lives. We thank you for the leaders, and we thank you for the kids. But we also thank you for all the other ministries that go on each and every week here. Some inside these walls and some outside these walls. We pray, God, that you would use your word to equip the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's turn your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to start reading verse 43. And if you don't have a Bible or a flat screen, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Two verses start off. Verses 43 and 44. Jesus said this. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, that's a rather odd thing to even hear, you know, hundreds of years later. Who teaches love your neighbor and hate your enemy? Well, actually, the Pharisees did do this. And we're going to go into this in a little, little bit more. But the law that Jesus was talking about was found in the book of Leviticus. It's in the first five books of the Bible. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. When Moses wrote these words that he received from God himself. And this is what Leviticus 19, 18 says. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Well, this commandment was quite unique in the ancient world and caused the Jews to stick out. But the rabbis, they taught very clearly that neighbors were just the Jews. The people that lived by them, the people that lived like them, the people that looked like them. Basically, they would say, you don't have to love outsiders, those who are not obeying the law, those who are the Samaritans, those are the, the Gentiles, those from a different race, those that live in a different land. You don't have to love them. You just have to love the Jews that are right around you. Well, if you've continued to read the New Testament, Jesus continually tried to redefine neighbor. He told a whole parable in Luke chapter 10, which we went over last week about the Good Samaritan. But Jesus taught and modeled how to love people who do not love you. Jesus is not giving a piece of ethical, behavioral advice but is reflecting on the very character of God. 
something every believer is predestined to become. You see, God changes all of us who walk with him from the inside. As we listen to God, as we obey God, God inside of us chips away the attitudes and the words and the actions that don't bring himself glory. Jesus is setting up his disciples apart from everyone else. He is saying, love people who don't love you back or who do not benefit you in any way. Well, to be quite honest, when we hear those words, we get a little bit despairing because this can only happen if we have God living in us. So, Jesus first said is that loving our enemies shows that God is our Father. Let's go back, Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to add just a little bit in verse 45 to put this into context. You have heard the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I, Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. You know, as I started uh, to study this text, one of the things that um, put me back just a little bit was the word enemy. Because most of us will say, well, I don't have an enemy. I, I have people I don't like to be around, I have people I don't, you know, like to do things with, but I don't have enemies. And maybe some of you actually do have some real enemies. But for most people, Jesus is talking about folks that you aren't just naturally drawn to. He's saying this, that this is a new way of living life. Now, Honestly, there are some people that can begin to debate, and this text actually has been debated a long time in many scholars, especially if you grew up in the 60s when the draft was very present, and there were folks that would use this verse to be able to get out of serving in the military. Now, I am not going to go into all of, shall I say, the pluses and minuses and try to debate actually what this means to our country or to the military or do we have a police force. What I'm going to try to say is this, is that I believe Jesus is addressing how his followers are to personally interact with those around him. Love is a verb. It's an action word. It's a command calling for a continual action. We are not to love our enemies periodically or every once in a while. We are to love them consistently and constantly. We are to give up ourselves and give ourselves away for the good of those who oppose, hate, and even persecute us. Love to Jesus was much more than tolerance or a dutiful handshake. 
In fact, if let's get the definition. The Can hold on for one second. Let's get the definition of what love is. If you can turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, or you again can look up on the screen. Let's listen as we are told what love is. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. You see, most of us are so familiar with this text, uh, especially at different weddings. Almost every wedding will have a little bit of 1 Corinthians 13 in it. There'll be something mentioned. But this is much more than a wedding text. This is much more than words given to spouses so that they might be able to grow in love and have this unbelievable commitment to each other. Jesus is saying, love everyone always. You know, Willow Creek, a few years back, had a campaign. And I'm not sure if you saw these posters actually all over. They were on billboards. They were on people's lawns and so on. And I actually think they had it right. They were trying to encourage the folks in their church, to love everyone always. All your gifts, the scriptures tell us, all your service, all your sacrifices are useless without love. Love is the fruit of walking with God. I can tell really fast if I'm walking with God by how I treat others. And so can others. You can ask your spouse. You can ask the people living in your home. But when you do not walk with God, you treat others poorly. So what is love? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and just focus on verses 4 to 7. Imagine the difference in your home, in our church, at your office, if all of us walked with God and loved everybody. 
it would mean that we would be patient and kind with people we don't even like, with people that are irritating, with people we don't want to hang out with. Patient and kind. The only way we can do that is if we're walking with God and he gives us the strength and the ability inside to do this. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. We would listen to people differently. We would talk to people differently. Love, it does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And love keeps no record of being wronged. Oh, for some who have a very, very good memory, this is really hard. And even for some of us, our memory is fading. This is not hard. We can keep track of all the times that someone blew it. Or what they said. Love keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love lose, uh, excuse, never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures and endures. You know what? This love is hard for spouses. Even when they come together and they publicly make this commitment to each other. Do you realize that still, whether you're in the church or out of the church, 50% of marriages today end in divorce. And this is, I'm assuming, a man and wife who are public. This, we're going to do this. This is no problem. We're working on this. And, and I'm going to be patient, and I'm going to be kind, and there's not going to be anything. And you go right through it, and everybody's, yeah, let's do it. And 50% of those relationships fail. Wow, do we need God living in us. Loving like this is a challenge for our brothers and sisters in the church. As you see churches disunified, or as you see splits happening, or as you just see clicks. So even people that are following God and love the Lord Jesus, it's hard for them to love like-minded people. So when Jesus says, love your enemy, love the ones you really don't like, love the ones who have persecuted you, have talked against you, have demeaned you, love those People? Whoa. Let me just say this. If our spouses loved like this, and our church and the church loved like this, 
And we as God followers went out and wherever we went would love like this. Wouldn't our world be different? Wouldn't there be shock and appall everywhere? Because this doesn't normally happen. But Jesus said, in my kingdom, when I am king, when you come underneath my rule, I will give you the energy and the strength to do things that are different. So you not only love your neighbor, you love your enemy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, right after 1 Corinthians 13, the first verse says this, let love be your highest goal. And I was so convicted because I have lots of goals. I'm sure you have lots of goals. I usually don't get up in the morning, though. Say, whoa. Biggest priority I have today is make sure I love. God, you're going to have to do something. But that's what the Apostle Paul said. In relationships with one another, make this a huge priority. Now let's take this one step further. Pray for your enemies. The whole, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus, 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 what are you doing? Loving the enemy thing, whoa, that, that's, yeah. now I'm going to pray for them. You know how I pray for enemies? Well, I hope that jerk stubs his toe. You know, I'm glad he got a ticket finally. I, and that's why, that's how I pray, Right? Hey, pray, hey, Lord, send down fire. You know, let's do that. I don't think that is what Jesus was saying. The word pray is also a present imperative. It's a command that calls for habitual action. What is praying for an enemy? I, I think that's a good question. What does that even look like? In Romans chapter 12, verses 14 and 20, the apostle says this, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. And if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. So pray that God blesses the people I don't like. Would that change your prayer life? Would it? You know, actually, as I was thinking through this, I think the word shalom, the traditional Hebrew greeting and goodbye, will actually help us here. Shalom is often translated peace. But a shalom greeting or goodbye is far more than I wish you peace and happiness. Shalom is about harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, tranquility. Shalom is way beyond just being a simple wish for peace and happiness to somebody. People who use shalom are actually saying, may you prosper and be filled with a complete and perfect peace. 
And may you experience a tranquil life, absent of agitation or discord, both within and without. Can you imagine praying and greeting anyone with these words? Even people you like? Much less the people you don't like? Wow. If we listen to Jesus, our world would change, period. Now, if we go on to our text, loving our enemies without discrimination is to act like God the Father. In other words, God is, again, predestining us. He is chipping away all the things that don't reflect him well if you're a God follower, if you're a believer, and we are going to reflect God better and better. But loving your enemies does not make you a child of God. Loving your enemy shows that you are a child of God. When we love our enemies, we mimic God and reflect him well. Let me give you some verses. In Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were clean, wonderful, perfect, and obedient people. Most of you know that's not in God's word. He showed his great love by sending Christ to die for us while we were separated from him. We were sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. But since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still enemies. We just went through Holy Week. We looked at the trauma of Monday, Thursday, in the horrific experience that Jesus went through on Good Friday and the wonderful celebration of the empty tomb. But Jesus sacrificed his life for you and for me. Enemies, enemies. He did that. Now Jesus gives a couple illustrations here. And let's read. Starting at verse 45. In that way, you'll be acting like true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how different is that from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. So we have an opportunity to treat people like Jesus treated them. We understand completely how Jesus treated us because we were enemies at one time. And our friends, if you've come to faith, you know, loving our enemies can only happen if you are a new creation walking with God. Because the norm, as Jesus mentioned, is just loving those who love you. 
Even tax collectors, even pagans do that. God says, I'm going to give rain and sunshine to those who are obedient to me and those who aren't. Those who are my friends and those who aren't. I'm going to grace them. I'm going to love them. So when Jesus said, love your enemies, we don't even get to choose which enemies we get to love. And then lastly, loving our enemies conforms us to the likeness of God, our Father. Look at just verse 48, chapter 5, verse 48. And this is how he ends this little section. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, again, he's saying, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for your enemies. I want you to be more like me and how I treat people. I do that, and I've showed you how I've done that. So he ends up, so be perfect. Be perfect just like me. Just like my father. What Jesus is saying here is I expect you to be like my father, who is complete, who is mature. Actually, as you read this and let it marinate, these words are very, very strong words. In fact, if I could maybe translate it in a different way, that we might be able to get the heaviness of this, I think Jesus is saying, be mature, grow up. Begin acting like your heavenly father. You know what is right. I have been around for a while. Maybe this is new for some of you, but I want you to understand this, that you have the capacity to love differently and to treat people differently. Be mature. Do this. You can Remember, we learn in 1 John chapter 3 that all of us eventually who are part of God's family will look just like Jesus. We will become like Jesus. So I think what Jesus is saying, you know what, begin acting like him now. Start acting like Jesus now. Don't wait Loving our enemies is to treat them the way God the Father in Jesus Christ has treated us. And by this time, I think you understand that we can love others because we have the Holy Spirit living in us and because he has shown us how to love others. That's why it's so critical not only to stay in the word, but to look at the gospels often. To watch how Jesus responded and reacted to different situations and different people. You see, we can love others because he first loved us. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, 
John the Apostle writes, we love each other because he loved us first. Just because he showed us how to love others, how to do that. You know, kingdom patriots, those who listen to God, those who obey God, those who by the Spirit's power are making a kingdom impact will live lives which are visibly different. They are visibly special and visibly extraordinary. They will be distinct from anyone else. You will stick out if you listen to God. Not in an ordinary way, but in a beautiful way. In fact, I like to say this is that kingdom patriots, they flat out love others like God loves us. Can we bow our heads for a moment? Jesus was trying to teach that following him will change the way you talk and change the way you act. That we have a possibility to make a huge impact, not because we're just really nice people, but because we have God living in us and we're bearing fruit, and we're able to love those underneath our roofs and those underneath this roof and those underneath the office's roof. I'm going to be quiet for a moment before I close in prayer. But I'd like you just to talk to God yourself. Maybe God... Is pricking your heart. Maybe there's some things that need to change. Maybe there's some people that you need to treat differently. Why don't you just spend some time praying right now and see what God is revealing to you. Father, we know how you loved us. We are in awe on the grace that you extend us, on the mercy that you give us. We are so grateful because we desire that relationship with you. And we know, Lord, that when we respond and the Spirit lives in us, 
that you are forming us into your image. But God, I know I feel that so slow sometimes in my life. But you are faithful and you chip away. So when we hear words like love your neighbor, that's hard enough, God. Love the people around me that that think the same way and look the same way and it's hard enough. But God, you said that kingdom patriots, that people that come underneath your reign and rule, that listen to you, can not only love our neighbor, but we can love those who are hard to love. You showed us how to do it, God. You've empowered us with the Holy Spirit's power, and we pray, God, that that would happen. We also pray, Father, for soft hearts. We pray, dear Lord, that where we've offended, where we have hurt, oh, we pray, Father, that, that we would be kind and gracious. Lord, we thank you for your word. And thank you even in some ways for a kick in the pants. These words weren't new to me, Lord, when I first read them. I had read them. But God, I knew that I am not loving enemies like you would want me to love them. So I pray, dear God, that that you would do a movement, that you would change us from the inside out, that, that we would leave encouraged and strengthened and convicted, that your spirit would do something amazing and powerful and extraordinary this coming week, this coming month, this coming year. God, we would ask that we would represent you well in spite of how we're treated, we love you, Lord, and pray all this in your son's name. Amen.